on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Naughty Talk Season 3, Episode 8. I'm Sunny Lee Main, she, her, and I'm excited to introduce our next guest. Next up, we have Lady Vroom Vroom, or Lady V, she, her, who was introduced to me by her partner, Sarah Without an H, and who is also a kinkster and educator on the subject of self-defense and situational awareness. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So... I usually ask people to sort of introduce themselves to our listeners, maybe tell us a little bit about your roles and identity within the kink community, um, whatever you'd like to share about that. Sure. Uh, name is Lady Vroom Vroom on FetLife. You can find me. And I, as far as my role in the kink community, uh, I, I would say I got involved with from Sarah, my wife, and so... As far as the roles, I mean, I go there, we go to the play parties, and I've discovered a lot about myself as far as what I like to do, and I'm very much a service top, and I guess I just like helping other people, because that's what I do full-time for my job, and then also teaching self-defense. So I think the service top kind of fits my lifestyle um, and my vocation as far as education. I think that's that's how I discovered what I like in the community, playing around with different stuff. Sarah's very vers- very eclectic, and she gave me all these new experiences. So that's where I'm at as far as the kink community. Excellent. And you were telling me a little bit about a kinky motorcycle club. I've never heard of such a thing, so I've got to ask you about it. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what even is that? Yeah, sure. It's actually the name of the biker club is – Legion of Sin and Jason, who's uh, is the is the president of the chapter in Philadelphia, and they actually just started the chapter here in Philadelphia. They've existed on the West Coast for a while now, and Jason ended up relocating to the Philly area and decided he wanted to start another chapter of this club. And we've been, we've met at the Owl's Nest if we're allowed to use names and locations. Owl's Nest is a kink-oriented community that does educational mm-hmm. stuff. And that's how I was introduced to them. And we, yeah, it is focused on people who have shared interests in obviously motorcycling, but also BDSM, different varieties of kink. And that's kind of the, the shared the shared communal aspects of that club is just combining things that where we both love and putting them all together in one meeting in one community. Would you say that the motorcycling is a kink for you? I think it is. It might be. It depends on how you define kink. I would say if it lights up a specific part of your brain, sure, that that it, that thrill is often how I associate fetishes 
what buzzes me. And I would say, yeah, motorcycling, I, it is such a passion for me. It's healthcare for me as well. I would definitely say that would be a kink if that's how we were to divine it. Yeah. Totally fair. I personally have never been on a motorcycle, but I have a feeling I would like it. It's on my bucket list. So I'm going to have to try it sometime. (laughs) Hey, if you have a Pennsylvania driver's license, you can take my class for free. I teach it for the state. And yes, it is free for any Pennsylvania driver. Come take it. It's for kicks and giggles. And then you get a motorcycle license at the end of it, if that's what you want. So yeah, a lot of people do bucket lists. That's a bucket list thing for people in Pennsylvania because it's free. So come see my class. I teach it weekly. I teach it regularly. Where can people find information about your class? Oh, great. Uh, For just in general, for all the locations in Pennsylvania, you can just Google the Pennsylvania Motorcycle Safety Program. If you want, I'm sure it will come up as P-A-M-S-P. I work specifically for Motorcycle Safety Academy. And you can also go to their website to sign up. And... I mostly teach out in the Reading area, unfortunately, which I know I live out closer to Philly. And we do have sites in Philly that are also available that I sometimes coach at. But I am every week out, farther out west in Reading. So hopefully if anyone wants to come take the trek, it's a great motorcycle ride out there. I will say that. So uh, yeah, and and if you wanted to in Philly, but those are the two, just in general, the Pennsylvania Motorcycle Safety Program, that'll get you information on how to sign up. So you teach on all kinds of safety, and we're actually going to shift gears and talk a little bit about situational awareness. That was me trying to make a cute little pun. Um, It's... You did well. Good job. Comedies, maybe not. Not my (laughs) (laughs) podcasting, not stand up, but um, I'll give it my best. Uh, So situational awareness and personal safety is a topic I've wanted to have on the show for some time, actually, because I feel like whether you're in a vanilla setting, whether you're in a kink setting, it's just something that is important for everyone to think about. And um, when I talk about my experiences in kink settings, It's actually kind of funny because I think that a lot of vanilla folks that I've had conversations with think if it's a kink setting, it might be somehow dangerous. And, you know, my experience in the kink community has been that folks are in general so much more respectful than in vanilla settings and so much more concerned with consent. And, you know, someone's always going to break naughty talk rule one, which is don't be an asshole. You know, there are always going to be people who do that. But in general, like, you know, I don't know a single vanilla venue that I could walk through, bar, club, whatever, naked and not have anybody touch me. I don't even know a lot of places I could walk through in a crowd fully clothed and like, you know, not be groped by somebody. But yeah, you know, that's that's an experience I've had in a kink setting. I can walk through a club naked and have nobody touch me without my consent. Amazing. It is amazing. Yes. And that is the tragic part of the world is that we're maligned and it's driven out and outcast to the drag into the outside of society when really, honestly, it is one of the safest places that I've experienced as well. And that's why I, I bring it up. You know, I think 
I don't, I definitely don't want to perpetuate this rumor, this idea that kink settings are dangerous. But the reality is, you know, a lot of them, a lot of clubs, a lot of kink events intentionally take place, places that are a little off the beaten path, a little bit out of the public eye, mostly to protect the people who are attending, to protect their privacy, to avoid harassment. And so that can come with all sorts of situational awareness and safety considerations. And so I'm really happy we're talking about it today. Yeah, this is nothing because I teach the self-defense curriculum, even though I teach at places like KinkyCon, places like Tethered Together, these are lessons that are broader than just a kink club, right? And it and that situational awareness, it starts from the moment you leave your house. So it doesn't matter where you're going, to what event that you're going. Situational awareness is called for no matter where you are. And that's that even though I tailor the curriculum or I can tailor the curriculum to kink spaces, it's something that people take with them. And it's actually something at one, I think it was KinkyCon. I had a student. We had, this is like a kink adjacent topic, I would say. That's how I bill it. It's adjacent, right? And this person was like, I actually think I'm going to incorporate some of this into my kink. And I'm like, that is fantastic for you. That is wonderful. I'm glad. Somebody else said that they're really into kind of like a, a stalking dynamic with their partner. Ooh. And they're going to incorporate. Yeah. Consensual well, talking. Consensual. <laughs> consensual. Their partner is former military. And that gets them kind of keeps that guy's brain wired because he gets to stalk consensually and then the other person was like yeah i'm gonna take some of these tips and i'm gonna try to beat him at the game you know they play a stalking (laughs) game right i wanted i seriously was so fascinated by this i was like i need to know more about this game i want to play this game that's extremely (laughs) hot i talk on the show all the time about how i do a lot of capture fantasy stuff and we've done like scenes with like actual like abductions in the back of a vehicle and taking off for a couple of days and it's like a three-day scene and that kind of a thing so yeah yeah that kind of sounds kind of hot but always my PSA we're talking about consensual non-consent play and you know consent is the most important part if you've listened to the show you know my whole speech about this but if you do not want to be kidnapped by an actual kidnapper (laughs) (laughs) some of these situational awareness things might be valuable to you. So tell us a little bit about the course you've developed, where it came from, who can benefit. Sure. I trained in Taekwondo a few years ago. You and I have previously talked about the reason I got into Taekwondo was because I had a home intruder. Somebody came into my home and it's the whole incident scared me to such an extent that I ended up seeking out Taekwondo or a martial art. I'd always liked martial arts. I dabbled in it previously. And so when I trained and I eventually earned my black belt in it, I was able to do more instruction on it. And one of the things I found lacking in a lot of self-defense courses was this idea that many of the instructors would go full force and be like, we're going to teach punches, we're going to teach kicks and all these techniques. And then most of the students, they go home and live an everyday life. They don't come back and practice punching or kicking or anything like that. And so when it comes time to actually use these skills, it's not something that they've developed. They've just been taught once in a two-hour class, and then they walk away feeling like they're so much safer than they are. And so my curriculum, I wanted to step back a little bit and I wanted to focus on the people who seek out self-defense classes are usually not the people who actually attend a 
regimented martial arts program. They're just people who want to get as much information as possible out of that so they feel safer. And so my curriculum ended up being two parts discussion and a third part of practical application of techniques because self-defense starts much sooner than the moment we're in danger. And the first part of it is preparation. How do we prepare for any unknown situation, any situation we're going into? How do we prepare for it? So that's number one. And that starts at home. And that starts with research and planning. And then we have when you actually go out, that's your situational awareness. That's how you need to learn to stay alert in your surroundings. You need to know where the exits are. A lot of people, we go through life kind of on autopilot, which is fine. That's our bodies are trained to spend as little energy as possible in one moment. It really is about conservation of energy. And so I'm trying to retrain you to be a little bit more alert in your everyday life. And then finally, if it comes to the point where your preparation, something slipped through, something you weren't aware of, when something happens that physically ends up in a physical confrontation, then I, then I give you these applications and this technique. And even then, my techniques are based around, around this really broad philosophy of every attack exposes a vulnerability. That's the biggest, broadest term I can say for my entire curriculum is that think about boxers. Boxers, they start out with a defensive stance and they, their defensive stance will cover their sensitive parts, covers their ribs, covers their chin, their neck, all that, their head as much as possible. But you can't win a boxing fight without throwing a punch. And that's the, that's where the skill comes in. Cause every time someone throws a punch, they've now exposed their ribs. They've exposed another part of their body. And the idea in a boxing match is to be able to exploit those vulnerabilities so that you can win the boxing match. And I take that as more of a precautionary statement for people where I say, I'm not really teaching you counterattacks. I am teaching you to get away with your life because the moment you stay to kick somebody to the ground, to enjoy that one last, you know, kick or hit before you get to run away is the moment that you expose yourself and create a vulnerability for yourself. And so now you're in a fight. Right now you're counterattacking. I don't really like to use the term counterattack necessarily, just because, again, my broadest philosophy is that every attack will expose a vulnerability. So the whole goal of self-defense is not to incapacitate a person. It's to get away with your life. And I think that was another thing I talked to cishet men who often don't have a sense of vulnerability like other groups in our world. And they always ask me like, why aren't you teaching them to incapacitate? Right. And it, and it goes to the fact that like, yes, because you expose yourself, but also like not everybody's going to be in, able to incapacitate every attacker. And I built this curriculum so that the person who has physical limitations can defend themselves just as well as somebody who has training in martial arts. And it can happen because you know, your own strengths and my my strengths are not your strengths and your strengths might not be aligned with mine. So why am I going to teach my self-defense according to my strengths, right? My last practical application, the last part of my self-defense is built that you create it. You find the physical 
weaknesses in this attack. And also you find your strengths. Where are you strongest? Because when they hold you, when attacker grabs you, when they strike you, they've exposed a portion on their body. So what can you do? Right. Mm-hmm. And I also think people think they need massive amounts of strength to overcome someone. No, because in an attack like that, there are no rules. There's a street fight. It is a bloody brawl, which means everyone's eyes are just as soft as smushy, regardless of how tall, big you are. Everyone's eyes are just as sensitive. <laughs> That's going to be like Same a big thing. quote. Like everybody's eyes are equally smushy, equally, yeah. average, <laughs> equally able to be poked. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's going to, that should be like a new naughty talk quote. Everybody's eyes are equally squishy. You, <laughs> right. That is, that is to get you to build confidence is that don't worry, no matter what your size is, everybody's eyes are just as squishy. <laughs> and I think we also, yeah, we don't think that way. I feel like people without fighting experience who come to my class, they feel weak, right? Mm-hmm. And I try to tell you them, I said, your attacker is not as strong as you think they are, mm-hmm. and you're not as weak as you think you are. We set up these boogeymans in our lives that it's going to be this huge, strong attacker that's going to come at you, and they're menacing, and they're invincible, and there's no way to overcome them. And that's not true at all. They are operating on the same adrenaline that you're operating off of. They're in a heightened state, and so they're prone to mistakes. And you No matter who you are, you have some sort of physical ability, in my opinion, to find weak spots in someone and and to to poke their eyes out, right? (laughs) If you have access to their eyes, right? But more seriously, you know, I think you touched on some really important things. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was your comment that it starts at home. And, you know, I'm a small person. And when I was growing up, I... I give my parents a lot of shit about being helicopter parents. I just <laughs> go out and say that. You know, but I also know that my father in particular was concerned about safety because when he was growing up, things were not safe. And, you know, he really was just determined um, that my sister and I would have some capacity to defend ourselves. And a I realize now that one of the things that I took from that type of upbringing, which <laughs> was interesting, is that from a very young age, he was always sort of coaching us on situational awareness. You know, if we went into a restaurant, he would ask us to think about which seat we were choosing. You know, could we see the exits? Could we see the door? Yeah. You know, did we trust the person who could see the door if we couldn't? That sort of thing. And just to be aware of our surroundings. And while I don't think necessarily it's a great idea to bring up a child with the idea that every time they step outside of their home, they're probably going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... There's a balance. There's a balance. You know, so I was afraid of the microwave forever because I didn't realize that modern microwaves do not release radiation waves. Wow. Okay. So I'm so sorry for this uh, anxiety you grew up with. Yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. Germs, germs were dangerous. (laughs) So, you know, there's a balance. But the point is, you know, those, those things, you know, situational awareness, being aware of what is going on around me, planning for safety in advance, you know, do I have a safety plan? How can I mitigate the risks of this situation? Those things have stuck with me. And I realize that's not something that everybody gets growing up. 
So, you know, having the availability of a class like that, it's it's definitely something that's useful and it's important. And it's why I wanted to talk about it today. And one of the things that sort of came with that upbringing, um, along with the situational awareness training, was discussion of things that could be an equalizer. You know, if you are a small person who might have a disadvantage, potentially, not always, but potentially in, you know, Mm -hmm. like a hand to hand combat kind of situation, there are other things that you can do to keep yourself safe. And do you have any thoughts on just sort of you've touched on martial arts and situational awareness, some people use some people choose to carry a tool for self-defense of some kind. Any thoughts about how to make the right choice for you? Oh, the self-defense method that's best for them. Well, this is my whole name of the class, create your own self-defense. You're going to create the the method that is best for you. And it goes back to the fact that everyone has varied strengths. And so I can't apply everything I have learned in Taekwondo, everything that I'm capable of at a fitness level. That's not going to pass along to every student Mm -hmm. because my wife is much fitter than I am, right? So her strengths, but she's also such a pacifist. And so her strengths might be physical, but psychologically she gets that, that nervousness. So yeah, when my whole class is about teaching yourself the best way to defend yourself, which again, we talked about that starts at home, right? And the access to all the information that you have that you can find out before you actually go on a date, before you actually get to an event. And you have tools like the internet, researching, what are people saying about the places that you're going to? What are the reviews? What What's the idea in the kink community? Do people like that space? Right? So that's going to be baked into your self-defense, no matter strategy, no matter what your physical capabilities are, right? Your self-defense strategy is going to be basically two parts mental, one part physical. And the physical, you're going to make up on your own. I can tell you and I can advise you on tips on the first two, right? The planning at home, the preparation, and the situational awareness. And that is something that is broadly able to be applied to anybody of any physical ability, right? Which is why I focus on those two first, because the third one is the physical application. And let's hope we never get to that point. I want to avoid having to apply physical technique in my life, because that means I'm applying self-defense. I'm defending myself. The shit has already hit the fan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It is. We are too far gone at that point. So that's why the the focus for me is the two parts of discussion, right? How much can you research before you leave the house? You brought up that you were raised to know where the exits are in a restaurant. And my wife, Sarah, says that uh, she calls me Tony Soprano (laughs) because when I get into a restaurant, like I can't have a lot of people at my back. It's not a comfortable (laughs) Yeah, it's just or not my back to like the me. door if I can't, especially if I don't yep. have a clear view, I can't stand it. <laughs> yep. And Sarah lets me sit down first because she knows that I'll be uncomfortable if I haven't chosen the spot that feels safest to me. Mm-hmm. And that's a personal thing. She doesn't get that way. I get that way, though. And that goes back to individualized strategies is that she feels fine and relaxed. And there's nothing wrong with being relaxed 
And there's nothing wrong with not being a Tony Soprano. Like, <laughs> I get it. Uh, this is an extreme. You have the same thing. It's, it's our experiences, mm-hmm. right? You were raised with those experiences. Experiences will inform your strategy. I have been the victim of crimes. And they will shape you. The, the home intruder shaped me. It made mm-hmm. me go and take Taekwondo and learn more about how to defend myself and to feel more confident. You know, I was mugged in college and that taught me a lot about appearance and how I operate in life, the practicality of what I'm wearing, which we talk about that as being a hot button issue about, it's not about shaming yourself for, for wearing uh, an outfit and then having a violent crime inflicted upon you. It's more when I talk about uh, what you're wearing, I mean the practic- practicability of what you're wearing. We're going to dig right? into that so, too a little bit. Deeper, yes. But, um, you know, you touched on something that I think is important to circle back to, which is the psychological aspect and like the personality component and life experience. You know, I am a person who, yes, my life experiences have shaped my choices. I have been stalked. I have been assaulted, you know, threatened in the community, that sort of thing. But even before that, you know, I think there's a little bit of soul searching that needs to go on when you're deciding how you're going to keep yourself safe. I have a partner who is very much like me in the way that I, you know, I choose to think about safety and protect myself. And I have a partner who is also very much a pacifist. And, you know, we have a home safety plan you know, for what we would do if there was a home invader. These are things that we we think about that, you know, it was important for me to take into account. And because I have taken classes myself on personal safety and self-defense and this sort of thing, I took a, a class on self-defense in the home, but we made a, a family safety plan. And the plan involves the person who is very much a pacifist and does not think they would ever have the capacity to engage physically, that person runs away and hides. Like that, that can mm-hmm. be part of the safety plan, you know, that might be yeah. the best safety plan if you don't think you can engage. And it's something I think. Well, I need somebody to go get help. So why don't it <laughs> be the pacifist? Who right. The pacifist calls 911. <laughs> yes. Tommy Soprano bursts yeah. out in their underwear and confronts the attacker. Um, yeah. You know, but, but whatever it is, you know, consider all of the people that are involved in your household safety plan. But also, you know, think about what you as a person really believe in your soul, like down to your bones. Could you do to defend yourself? I think that, you know, there are a lot of potential hot button issues in this, (laughs) this topic. But, you know, when somebody is deciding, do I want to have my plan be like to run away to just be situationally aware? Do I want to have some physical self defense skills like a martial art? Do I want to carry a tool for self defense? That sort of a thing. You know, if you are going to carry, I like to say tool instead of weapon um, for self defense, but if you're going to carry a tool for self defense, whatever that thing may be, it's so important to one, practice with it, know it inside and out, feel like it's an extension of yourself, know how to use it so that you know, you're not going to harm yourself with it. But the second part is to just know within yourself, could you ever really use that thing, whatever it is, to defend yourself? Because if there's any hesitation, any question, that's how people end up carrying some type of, you know, self-defense tool and having it turned against them. 
even mm-hmm. mace. So many people mace themselves in the face. <laughs> like, yeah, I giggle too. Do. I should not giggle. I have had mace on my face before in an accidental situation. Okay. I didn't do it to myself. No, my my dog walker actually um, <laughs> deployed mace. Wow, in a situation in your face. <laughs> no, in a situation with with an animal, and the mace got on my dog, and then the mace got on my face because he like basically tossed my sure. dog back into the house and said there was an incident with Mace and ran away. Um, oh that person gosh. no longer walks my dogs. But, yeah, right. Um, but yes, I, I was like, what happened, buddy? And I rubbed my face all over him and I got Mace in my eyes. It was not a fun time. But you bring up a good point that you experienced what it was like to have Mace in your eyes, which honest, that does that does transition. It does apply to what weapon or tool mm-hmm. You choose to carry your points are all things I agree with as far as any weapon you use can be used against you. And that's why I stress bodily weapons, because for the most part, they can't be detached from you. You always carry them Mm -hmm. like your fingers, your nails, your teeth. People forget that teeth are a weapon. People forget your voice is a weapon. I can see why people thought this was sexy. I'm like, I like to bite people. I kind of like rough body play. <laughs> we like to punch each yeah. other sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Now you see why the kinky I conventions are like, this is, this is good. This is yeah. <laughs> yes, we need to empower everybody. Because again, I don't think we consider our our limbs and our physical selves necessarily as a weapon. Uh, Everybody reserves that for martial artists. And it's like, no, you physically have nails or fingers, pointy things, Mm -hmm. and you have teeth and you have a voice, which a voice is a weapon in itself. A voice is disarming. You screech into someone's face, that will disarm. That is shocking. And any second that you have is is a second for you to get away, right? Just like the second hesitation to use a weapon could be the moment that they the attacker uses it on you. There's that, all you need is one second. And I like to sum it up in a sense, I like to frame this. Listen, guys, neither one, we never think about this, but neither the attacker nor the defender wants to be in that situation for very long. They really don't. The attacker wants to get in and they want to get out without getting caught. And you just want to get out with your life, right? So the attacker, the moment that there is a second delay for what they want to accomplish with you, they want out because their ultimate goal is to get out of there. Their ultimate goal is to survive and escape. They want what they want from you, whatever that is. But they also want more not to not to get caught, right? They also, more than hurting you, likely just don't want to get caught. In most situations, that I am excluding domestic violence situations that are much more personal. But the idea behind it is we have to reframe this boogeyman idea of an attacker. They're fallible. They have weaknesses. And they're scared, too, because adrenaline is running through their bodies. Really, only psychopaths are the only people who don't react <laughs> with adrenaline, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we do want to avoid psychopaths. But the the decision, the decision to whether or not to carry a tool, it's like you said, you need to train with it. I don't mind whatever weapon somebody chooses to use for self-defense as long as they are 
practicing with it. Don't get a knife and just stick it on your belt and think everything will be safe now. Definitely don't buy a knife and put it in your purse and carry it around and feel safe because that's the first thing that's going to go. Most of the time they just want your purse, which time out here. If somebody just wants your purse, let them have it. Honestly, like you can replace that. And this is really about defending your body, your physical self from harm. It's not about personal property and protecting that. And and so I want to make that distinction too. That if somebody just wants something like your shoes, give them your give them your damn shoes. Okay, it's better than than whatever harm could come to you. And yeah, with with mace, I'm glad you know the effects of mace. People who carry mace should know the mm-hmm. effects of mace because they should also know when they're downwind, when they're defending themselves that is every weapon has a weakness right so pepper spray where are you are you outside are you inside outside it's a little less effective and inside you're more prone to getting it in your face right and or getting it sprayed around you and on you and same thing with a knife what kind of knife do you have if anybody watches forged in fire knives are built for different things so we have stabbing knives we have slicing knives And which knife are you carrying? Mm -hmm. And have you stabbed anything? Do you know what it's like to stab something? Most people don't, right? Do you know what it's... uh, There are ways to stab people. What happens if you hit a bone? If you hit a bone when you stab something, that could really be jarring to you because you don't expect it. And when you don't expect it and something throws you off... The knife could be lost. The knife could be in the other person's hands by that point. And that's why... I like to stress to people that you have your own weapons. You have your own arsenal. And you. I want you to hone that. I want you to reward yourself, like acknowledge that you have weapons and strengths inherent in you. And if you also feel that another device or another tool is how you protect yourself and how you feel safe walk, walking around in this world, that's great as long as you, you, as you practice with it. Make the conscious decision, make the decision of like, I am choosing to carry this weapon because it's a close range weapon or it's a close up weapon, like knives are a close uh, range weapon. They're for short distances, whereas guns are for long distance uh, defense, which again, you have to understand the difference between the purpose of the weapon. A gun is not used for grappling. If you get into a situation and you're on the ground grappling with someone, a gun is not going to be as effective, right? Uh, But if someone is holding you up at gunpoint and you have a knife, well, that's not effective either, right? So just make the choice. Just think about it. Inform yourselves. That's all I'm asking is for an informed decision about how you protect yourself. And education exists. You know, I... I'm a person who chooses a tool for self-defense, but, you know, I spend an awful lot of time training with that tool of choice, you know, taking practical hands-on classes, just practicing, searching myself, thinking about when is it a good time to leave that tool at home. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I also recommend if you're considering carrying a tool for self-defense, I recommend you think about just like you do in a kink scenario. If you're doing a kink skill where there could be some risk involved, you're doing some edge play, you're doing some knife play, you're doing something with sharps, you're doing something with fire, you're doing something with electricity. Think about, you know, what can go wrong 
and the first aid for that thing. I took a tactical trauma care class to learn how to deal with pretty egregious injuries like in a field situation because mm-hmm. I understand that if you choose to carry a tool for self-defense, <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying it, you know, if that is what it is, things could go wrong and you want to be prepared for all eventualities. So not only, you know, do you know how to use it, but have you thought about what can go wrong, how you can mitigate the risk? Have you thought about just today for this one individual situation, does it make sense? for what I'm doing, you know, in this moment, to bring that tool with me. Those are types of things that are really important. And at the end of the day, when you make that choice, searching yourself all the way down to your bones, could I even use this thing if I really needed to on another human being? Yeah, we talk a lot about all of this background setup for kink scenes. And it's the same thing in your everyday life, right? You set up from the moment that you're at the house. So you are saying that you have a safety plan in place. And that is great. I love hearing that people do have safety plans in place, especially with friends. Like, hey, you're going to watch out for me because I'm going out tonight to this location Mm -hmm. with this person, right? And But one of the things I often find students blank at is when I say, okay, well, let's say a situation is you know exactly where your partner is based on a phone app, right? Mm -hmm. You share the location, right? And the situation is your partner goes out on a date, okay? And they say they're going to check in with you or you're going to be the one to check in with them. And that somehow doesn't happen. Either they don't pick up the phone or they don't check in with you. And now you're looking at your map and seeing where they are, right? And But what is that? Where do you go with that, right? All that is showing you actually is where your phone is. It's not actually showing you where you where your partner is. It's showing where your partner's phone is, mm-hmm. first of all. But secondly, we also run into that dilemma, especially in minority communities, of when do you call emergency services? And that that is different based on what community you belong in or you you are a part of. And uh, so seeing on, let's say, a, a location sharing app, your partner is at this restaurant, just like they said they would be, right? Okay, well, they might have gone to the bathroom or they might not hear their phone or or something might have happened where they're just not accessible. So you're, what, what's your next step? You're still worried about them, but is it the, to the level of 911? Certainly not, right? Not yet. And that safety plan that you have, it needs, a lot of people just don't go to that point. They're like, oh, okay, as long as I can see where you are on the map, or if I can see that you're moving on the map, everything is good. And it's like, no, you have to take it to the point of like, what happens if your person is seriously in danger? Or how can you assess that, right? And uh, the especially with kink and, and queer and minority groups, it is essential to know at what point emergency services is called for because that could very well escalate a situation that didn't need to be escalated and it's unfortunate that we live in that kind of society but we there are safety plans should have notes on that as to when i will pull the trigger or who i will employ first before 
going to 911 necessarily. I mean, 911 has its uses. If you are bleeding, yes, definitely. But you want to make sure that your partner or whoever it is that you're watching out for is actually what level of danger they may be in. It could just mean that you they need to call you, right? One of the things that I stress is like with your preparedness, okay? I worked in an industry. I worked in real estate previously. And we would go into strange people's houses with strange people. That was part of my job. And one of the uh, plans that I had in place with a few agents was a code word. And we used a code word, red folder. And it didn't take much training to get this instilled in people. It was essentially, if you got a phone call from me and I said, hey, it's me. I'm at a, I'm showing a house right now. And I realized I left some material at the office. It's in a red folder. As soon as that phrase is used, you, you are informed. Your friend or your agent friend was informed that there was a problem. And at that point, the best way, especially in the industry I used to be in, was like, hey, I'm showing this house. Would you be able to bring this red folder to the house? Right. Sometimes just the conversation is enough to scare the suspect out of doing whatever they want to do because they hear you're you're talking to someone and asking them to come to the location. Right. For innocuous reasons. Right. It also gives it's easy for me to share the information. I am with one person, my client here. He needs he, which sometimes is beneficial to know that gender of the person. It helps to point out who's the suspect as well. And and I can give them all that information innocuously. It just sounds like I'm working for this client of mine. But on the other end of the line is a person who is asking me yes or no questions. Do you need 911? No. Do you need someone to come over right now? Yes. Uh, you know, st stuff like that, that does not come across as asking for help on the other side. And that was a code word. I didn't need to practice that. We didn't need to run drills where I called my friend and I said, I have a red folder. It was one and done. I have a code word. If I use that code word, we know I need, I need limited discussion on my end. There is a reason I need some level of help. And I do recommend that. So that is part of your planning, your safety plan, having those, that ability to just innocuously ask for help kind of thing. That's a good point. And I, I think that also there's like the psychological component of, you know, am I overreacting? Am I doing the right thing? And, you know, I have a partner who goes on wilderness adventures and is often off grid and doesn't have good cell phone reception. And we get really specific, you know, how long will you be gone for? What are the check-in points? Okay, it's possible that there could be no cell phone service, you know, somewhere where you're expecting it. So if you miss one check-in, where will you go? What will you do? How long should I wait before I call this exact person? You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, even when you do your best to plan, I think sometimes it can be hard to kind of pull the trigger on. I'm initiating this emergency response because you're like, well, they're going to be embarrassed or I'm going to ruin their good time or I'm going to, you know, but I think that like anything, if you have good communication and good negotiation, you hopefully will have the um, the confidence to know that this is something that that person that you care about agreed to and something that they're depending on. And so probably are not going to be upset if you stick to the plan. Especially if you have multiple escalation points, 
So you have, oh, somebody missed a check-in. Well, there might be another check-in, right? And if I miss that next check-in, now we now we get even more, mm-hmm. now we go to step two or whatever. And yeah, so when you create those levels of steps, then it becomes less awkward when it gets to the part where, say, like police show up to to find your partner and they're just sitting in a restaurant dining with someone, right? Like it it allows for that... It allows for mistakes and oversights, things that are innocuous, that are just innocent, like, oops, I, I didn't check my phone at the time that I meant to check my phone. And it helps you when you build up multiple steps in the preparation process, in the, in the safety planning process, multiple steps so that we're not going from zero to a hundred and then making a scene, right? If there is a moment where your partner has missed steps one through 99 and you send out a hundred and you go to a hundred, that's fine. Your partner should understand you tried 99 other ways before you had to go ham on them and just call 911 and say, I don't know where my partner is kind of thing. So yeah, you build in multiple steps, just like we're kingsters. So we're, we should be good at planning and we should be good at gaming out bad scenarios. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we should just take that to everyday life and just start our whole plan every day. And situational awareness, you know, we, you, you wanted to speak about that. That's informed by your previous experiences in life. And just like with the King community, we can share our experiences and the things that we should watch out for and take those tips from other people and, and the things that I can give you too. But the, the whole point is our shared experiences help us develop our self-defense strategy and our experiences or individual experiences help shape it. Um, so I share my knowledge based on, like you said, you'd been assaulted, right? Mm-hmm. So I hope that you feel comfortable enough to share some life lessons you learned after that. Like, not that this is not a victim blaming. This is not a, well, you should have done this and then that wouldn't have happened to you. No, it's a, it's a reflection on the incident, whatever happened to you and saying to yourself, how can I do things differently next time to avoid getting myself into the same situation and then share that knowledge with people, right? Like be like, yeah, this incident happened to me. Like the time I was mugged, I was mugged in college and my roommate was on crutches and she slipped in Philly, we slipped on some ice. Well, a couple of people felt that they could take advantage of that moment because she couldn't run away. And so after this whole situation, and I reflected upon it, it's not her fault she was on crutches. We could have arranged it better where we were walking in a safer way, walking in a safer area, and just reflecting upon what that experience brought me. I, I don't blame her for being on crutches, and I don't regret you know, walking, people have to walk and get from place to place, but share those experiences. And the kink community is great for that. We're very, we should be, we're very open and transparent in sharing. And I think that helps us with self-defense as well. So we've got a couple of good um, tips here. Um, Go for the eyes, Mm -hmm. avoid psychopaths, (laughs) but you know, be aware of your surroundings, you know, do some advanced research 
think about where you're mm-hmm. going, you know, what are the safety challenges of that particular situation? How can you mitigate them? Do some soul searching about what are the ways that you feel most empowered to defend yourself, whether that is going to be some kind of physical training, whether it's situational awareness and, you know, some practice with strategies to get away quickly, whether it's using a tool for self-defense, you know, if you're going to do any of those things, make sure that you're doing the appropriate training, you're considering what could go wrong, is this appropriate, not just for every day, but for the specific situation that I'm, you know, going to be in today, this time. We talked a little bit about having, you know, check-ins, that's something we talk a lot about with somebody that you care about if you're going to an event or you're dating, but be really specific about what is the safety plan, maybe having several levels of escalation. When do I initiate? What type of response? When is it an emergency response? So lots of great tips there. I do want to circle back to one topic in particular that we touched on. And to be clear, I want to talk about dressing for safety. And no, we're not talking about shaming anybody because they are revealing their body. We're not talking about asking for it. We're talking about what can you do to keep your own person safe and how does, you know, dressing play into that level of preparedness? Yeah. That's a great topic to bring up. And I'm glad you did that disclaimer because it is a touchy touchy subject. I'm not here to lay the blame at the victim or the survivor's feet uh, about what they were wearing. The idea behind dressing for safety is we, for the example of the King community, pleasers, right? Those really hot, sexy stiletto heels. They look awesome. They are great with an outfit. They do not walk the streets of Philadelphia. Pleasers are my favorite. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But they're just not good for walking around in public, right? Like you want to look good, but unfortunately, you hit a crack in the sidewalk and your ankle is broken, basically, right? And that impacts your safety. That impacts the ability for you to run away, just like it did when I was mugged when I was younger. Uh, And the idea of it is, hey, how about you just carry them to wherever you're going to end up and use them as the weapon or the tool, right? (laughs) Hold them. They're a weapon, right? And that's also reframe your idea of what a tool or a weapon is, right? Like reframe that because I can throw, I mean, I'm in an office right now and geez, if I was in danger, I'd just throw a monitor at someone. Like, you know, that's just throw anything. You just use anything. So the idea behind it is like, how about you wear comfortable shoes while you're getting to the event or location? And then you switch into the hot, sexy pleasers that make you feel so confident. And that's, what if you're wearing really tight latex or leather, right? You can't run. That's not really great to physically get away from anyone. How about we just change, bring a change of clothes, something. There are ways that we can still look awesome and confident and hot and be safe. And also think about that. I don't have to look hot from the moment I leave my house to the moment I get back to my house. How about I just bring my hot stuff, dress vanilla, dress in running gear, I guess, and then change into the other stuff. That's dressing for safety. That's what I mean is how do you appear to someone who wants to take advantage of you? Because they're going to look for weak spots. And if the weak spots are like six inch stilettos on your feet, I mean, they might pick you out. If they're in your hand, though, a lot fewer people would mess with you. 
because you got those stabby things right in your hands. So yeah, I, I am not here to shame people. I'm here to look at the practicality of what you what you wear uh, in order to protect yourself. So I actually had a, a situation where I wiped out a pair of pleasers. I was in a, a kink club and, you know, I was being very quiet and respectful because I was entering a space where there was a scene going on on a platform and I was sort of like waved in, like, come on in. And unfortunately, that particular club, I'm just going to say it, the venue was a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> the venue was not safe. The people were generally awesome, but the actual physical space was not amazing. And there was actually like a dip in the floor, like a hole in the floor. And I stepped Oopsies. right in that hole with, with my my unicorn eight inch um, pleasers and sprawled out right in the middle of the floor. My partner tried to catch me. I took them down too. Um, okay, but you weren't trying to make the scene. No. Like, I'm just coming in quietly. No, I'm just trying to come in quietly. <laughs> Nobody was mad at me. I was really relieved because it was so clearly an accident. But yes, I can't imagine, you know, trying to like defend myself or make a getaway in those shoes. It's hard enough to just walk or dance. So <laughs> I think about like, you know, in the winter when I'm attending events wearing a warm jacket and like it's a pain in the butt because you're like, okay, I'm going to strip down to nothing when I get in there. Where am I going to put all my stuff? Am I going to have a locker? Am I going to be able to? But, you know, living in New England, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm thinking about like stepping into a place that's sketching me out because I'm cold outside or like where I'm going to take a like a riskier Route because it's shorter and it, you know, I don't want to be cold. So I'm going to take this like less well lit path or that sort of thing. That's something to consider. It is absolutely. That's the same. It it all falls in line to the, yeah, look how that informs your decision, right? There's a decision point there because you're like, I really want to be comfortable. I don't know. First of all, I don't know my surroundings, which if you don't, that's that unknown that you try to flesh out. Will I have lockers there? Right. Will I have a place to store my stuff? Right. Cause that can inform how you're going to go out. Right. And then as you gave this example, you're thinking, well, I, I want to dress so I'm comfortable climate wise. And if I can't do that, maybe I should take a shorter way, but this shorter way might be less safe. So let's, let's re readjust that. Right. Let's adjust that so that we're thinking. One, we know whether or not we know more information about the location that we're going to be at, right? We should inquire. Do they have lockers? Do they have storage space? We should. Why not? Right. And then we base our next decision off of that. Right. And hopefully we're not getting ourselves into too much of a dangerous situation. But as you can see, the practicality of what you were wearing you was trying to inform your decision as to whether to take the better lit route or the less lit lit route. And we don't need to, we shouldn't have to put ourselves at that decision point. We should be able to clear that up before we get to that point. For sure. And my <laughs> last thought about this is think about safety from both sides when you are dating, when you are meeting someone for an event. So here's a personal example. I went on a date not that long ago with a lovely person and I was having a great time and we decided to extend our date and extending our date meant that she was going to be in my car for the first time. So 
you know, we talked about where we were going and we decided that I was going to be the person to drive us to the next location. And I had a, a thought, you know, like if I was extending a date and it made sense for whatever reason for the other person to drive me and I was going to get into a vehicle with a person who was newer to me, you know, for the first time, what are the things that would make me safe or would make me feel safe? And so, you know, when we were getting into the car, I said, you know, I'm setting my GPS. This is the address we're going to specifically. If you want to like take a moment and text somebody, you know, the address where we're yeah. going, just in case, yeah. like I'm not a serial killer, but you know, yeah. that would be something that would make me feel safer. And I wouldn't want to have to be like feeling awkward. I would probably just ask because, you know, it's me. I would probably just be yeah. like, where are we going? I need to send the safety text and normalize that kind of behavior. It's fine. But I mean, honestly, any. Any upright or upstanding individual shouldn't balk at that kind of request. Correct. Right? Don't ever be embarrassed to make yourself feel safe. But I felt like I should offer it. Yeah. You know, like let me yeah. let me say, you know what, I'm recognizing that this is a situation where you might feel maybe a little bit vulnerable and, you know, ask, what can I do to help you feel safe in the situation or offer that kind of information so that they don't have to ask for it? Yes, that is hey. That's attractive to me. I would have been all about that extending the date if you were like, here's the map and let your partner know where you're going to be. Awesome. I feel so much safer. <laughs> right? right? Let's do it. Let's keep on this date. And and yes, when people are, that's great. You extended it. You said, I recognize safety is a concern for you because safety should be a concern for any party that's involved. And yeah, recognizing that the other person's experiences is going, they're shaping the way they, they react to any situation. You know, your life experience is shaped. Like, for instance, I brought up the mugging again. If I am on the streets and someone wants to make casual conversation with me, I am uh, might be perceived as rude and I will walk away. And the reason is, is because the people who mugged me, they ended up trying to start casual conversation and they were like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Because my roommate fell. Oh, is she okay? Oh, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Oh, that's that's no problem. Hey, do you have any money? Do you have any change? Can I get some change? It's Philly. That's normal. No. And then it became more demanding. So my lived experience is that if you're going to make casual conversation with me on the street, I, I am going to be very protective. And you're probably going to think I'm rude. You're probably going to wonder what's wrong with me. But again, that's that lived experience of me going into survival mode. I'm in survival mode now because this happened to me and I don't want it to happen again. Right. And we have to understand with every person that we interact with, they have a variety of those lived experiences and that's going to inform how they handle any engagement with you, right? So there could be your partner, the, the date that you went on, you're saying to them, I recognize this could be a precarious situation for someone and I'm being forthright with my information, right? And that's great. That's a great way to make someone feel safe because we don't know what their experiences are. So we might as well make that effort if you care about them, right? <laughs> right. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me. I'm hoping that our listeners are going to think about, you know, situational awareness and a safety in a whole new way. Any parting thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with or um, events you have coming up or things you'd like to kind of plug a little bit? 
Well, what's interesting, I don't have anything right now to plug because I'm planning on going to Europe in a couple of weeks. So I kind of didn't plan anything. <laughs> but I do teach self-defense down. Um, it, it is a monthly. We're trying to make it recurring at a queer alliance in Philadelphia, Galay. It's G-A-L-A-E-I. And so I, I teach down there regularly. I teach at public schools uh, we have one event coming up, but I can't promote that because you have to be part of that school. <laughs> so I'm not going to promote where I'm going to be on that one. Um, but yeah, I, I am taking this to conventions. So if you guys, anybody who loves going to kink-related kink conventions, I try to get in there and teach. And so nothing to promo right now other than the fact that I have this curriculum that I've been taking uh, to various places. <laughs> I am around. You can find me. I'm Lady Vroom Vroom on almost any site. You can find me Lady Vroom Vroom on FET, Lady Vroom Vroom on Insta, Facebook. And you will be able to see what I'm doing. I MC for burlesque shows occasionally. I am sometimes on the mic for comedy. I think people think I'm funny. So I'm going to keep putting myself in front of the mic and and so just follow me and you'll find me where i'm paid to be basically consensually follow <laughs> consensually follow me yes i love that <laughs> yeah don't stalk me don't don't stalk me just follow me okay <laughs> um but yeah like i this is my this is my passion education is my passion i do it full-time for motorcycle safety and i do this um, this curriculum is really important to me because I feel like we've only focused on physical aspects and there's so much more to defending yourself and you need to realize that you're stronger than you think you are. We, we are not up against these uh, insurmountable enemies. No, you have power within yourself. We just want to teach you how to access it. Excellent. You are stronger than you think. Thanks for having this talk with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll talk about this all day long. Yay. I appreciate you. <laughs> thanks as always for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnylymain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.